0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at Eldorado High School in the Performing Arts
1: Center at 9 and 11 a.m. It's good to see you guys. I am not a grown up version of Andy, I am David. <laughs> it's good to see you guys this morning. I know it's weird not to see somebody who normally comes up, but I'm here to welcome you guys, to say welcome to Vox. Glad you guys are here. Good to see you guys. Um, I love the weather that we're having, right? So I feel like I have to be a comedian, right? I feel like I'm, I've got the lights on me, I've got to, I got to perform, but I'm not going to, because I'm not a comedian, and I'm not George Lopez, so don't think of that. (laughs) I love that you know who that is. Um, I went to one of his things, and I should have walked out, but I didn't. And I laughed at things I shouldn't have laughed. <laughs> and it was, it was pretty awesome. All right, so here we go, you guys. I got two things, three things I'm going to tell you this morning. One is that next week, you guys, we are going to uh, have what we're calling a picnic on the lawn. So we want to get to know you guys. We want there to be a time for us to kind of hang out. Um, bring your lunch. Bring chairs. Bring t- blankets, towels, whatever you want to do. And we're going to head out after service, and we're just going to hang out on the grass Just for a time of uh, community to get to know each other, um, get to know people that we don't know. So that'll be a good time for all of us to just hang out um, and have lunch together. So that's going to happen next week. We do have a new to Vox dinner coming in September. September, I believe it's 6th. It's on the website. So if you are new and you want to know about Vox and, and what we do here... I urge you guys to attend there, get to know a little more of what we do. So those are the the two things that we want um, you to know. If you're new, if this is your first time, welcome. We uh, we're glad that you're here. Our hope is that you find this to be a safe place for you to belong, and that is uh, the beauty of this place. That's what I love about this place. That it is a place to process. It's a place to ask questions, and all of that is welcome here. And then finally, you guys, this is me kind of being honest to you. Um, I get to be part of the leadership team, and I was fortunate enough to be able to be here from the beginning, sitting around a table, asking the questions, what do we want Vox to look like? What does what our heart desire for Vox? And um, during this transition, as Mike uh, moved to Ohio, I'm the guy who makes charts. I'm the guy who likes facts. I'm the guy <laughs> who makes things happen here at Vox. I know, I know. It's me. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> But you guys, um, I could be quite skeptical in a lot of things. And as soon as that happened, I think personally for me, I went into a place of like, oh, man, is this going to continue? Is Vox going to continue to be a safe place? Are people going to be here? So I started to question the sustainability of this beautiful place, of this beautiful group. And I got to tell you, you guys, I have been so surprised at the commitment at the financial giving that you guys have continued to give that's been consistent, at the ownership of, of this place. And I've heard so many stories of people saying, hey, we're, we're here. We're going to stick this out. We love this place. And from my heart to yours, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for continuing to allow this place to be open. Thank you for continuing to allow for this place to be a safe place to belong for the next generation And so that we can love and serve the world and not stand in judgment of it. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of the leadership heart. Thank you for giving. Thank you for doing what you do. The people who are serving, it's just amazing. I've been in church for a very, very long time. And to me, this is just a breath of fresh air. It's a a breath of fresh air telling me, hey, there's a group of people who own this. There's a group of people who love this, regardless of who's speaking on the stage. We have bought into this vision. We have bought into this, and we want to see it continue. So for that reason, I say thank you. So yes, that's, that's great. Thank you so much. And uh, again, if you're new, we do things a little different. We've got some music. You can join in if you want. You don't have to. We've got Ronnie who comes and, and going to share the story. But we also have communion where we get to uh, take the the uh, the, the blood and the in, in the bread, and we want you to be part of that. And um, it's just an amazing morning. Hope you guys are feeling good. And thanks again for being here. Love you guys. And Tim's going to come out, and he's hey you too. Thanks, David. My name's Tim. I'm part of the teaching team here.
0: We have put together a great group of people that you're going to hear from, different voices. Mike is going to be Skyped in, going to be preaching from Mordor. Um, (laughs) My wife's like, honey, don't do that. I said, yeah, the Bible calls evil, evil. So um, one of the... One of the things I love about Box, one of the things I've always appreciated is that you have a voice. It's not just the teaching team. You have a voice, and that voice often comes in the form of really honest, hard questions. And we, have a, and we can't tackle all of them, but we are going to tackle some of them. So here's the very first question. Hi, glad Mike touched on Charlottesville, but was hoping he and Ronnie would more directly take on this horrible and tragic issue. Specifically, can you provide more insight into how the church should shine during uh, such times, in Mike's words? And what should we as followers of Jesus be thinking and doing in response to these situations? We witnessed horrendous acts yesterday, by very evil people, many of them self-professed Christians. We heard Ronnie teach today about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Given yesterday's tragedy and so many others like it in recent years, I asked myself, how can I love and have compassion for such evil people? But no, there must be a way that I should. How can and how do we reconcile these seemingly conflicting things? Can you please provide us with more specific guidance and help? Well, Charlottesville is a tragedy. It's seeing evil in its most overt form. But there's two things I think we need to think about when we think about what's happened there. First, what separates Christians from other groups is not only do we oppose evil, and we should. We have a great history of the church of opposing evil and standing up and calling evil evil, which we need to do in this situation with uh, hate groups But at the same time, we love those groups. At the same time, as we oppose them, we also offer Jesus' love to them. Uh, I'm teaching a class at Biola University where I'm gonna show this video of a, a girl who grew up in Westboro Church. Westboro Church is a radical fringe group that is hateful, towards the gay community, is hateful towards the military. They show up at military funerals with the most hurtful signs you can imagine. I can't imagine losing a son or daughter and showing up at a military funeral, and there's a Westboro church with basically saying, um, God caused your son or daughter to die because you let gays serve in the military. I can't imagine that. So this one woman was about six when she started in the Westboro church. She would hold up hateful signs she couldn't even read. And then when she got to her teenage years, her adult years, people started to engage her via Twitter, and they disagreed with her, but at the same time loved her. It shocked her that people would do that, would be kind to her, even as they vehemently disagreed with her. And over time, love won out. Over time, she began to soften towards these individuals and eventually repented, of what she was doing, and now has left the Westboro Church and travels all across the country talking about the need to love even people that we view as being hateful. That is the message of Jesus. The very people who crucified Jesus, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, listen, we we denounce hatred, and we oppose these groups, both legally as well as protesting as well. But I want to talk about a different type of racism. See, very few of us will ever encounter hate groups. We'll never have that opportunity directly like what happens in Charlottesville. But racism is everywhere. And we need to be able to deal with that on the local level. I teach a class at Biola where I talk about affirmative action. Regardless of what you think about affirmative action, it, it, people get mad in my classroom. Predominantly, white students get mad that we would talk about, well, what do we do with people who are disadvantaged? What do we do with individuals that it's not a level playing field? To say that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, well, what, that assumes that the ground is level, and, there, and it's not level for people in America. It's not level for people here in Brea or Placentia or Fullerton. See, that's the harder form of white um, privilege and the harder form of racism that I think Jesus really wants to try to get at. So I, I do think we oppose hate groups, But I think Jesus has something much more at heart for us, and that is where's the um, racism that may be in my heart that as a white male, hey, I'm all for an equal playing field, just not right now, (laughs) right? Let me take advantage of it being unequal and that I'm benefited from it, and then we can get to the harder things, right? I need to search my own heart when it comes to that. All right, next question. Hey, great message, Tim. Thank you. Exactly, I again added that as well, exactly what we needed to hear. Can you do a deep dive and expand further on what to do when God doesn't show up? In your example, what did you tell your friend on the verge of losing their house, can't find a job, et et cetera, telling him God is good and that God loves him might not be enough? There is so much hurt out there and I struggle with how to deal with it all for myself and my family. Great question. So my friend went through about five years of unemployment, almost lost his house. His wife um, eventually had nervous, almost a nervous breakdown. And what do you you say? Well, there is a temptation, and we need to avoid it, to over-spiritualize at that point, right? To say, hey, all things work together for good. Uh, God hasn't abandoned you. He loves you. Um, Hey, I'm excited to see... The character that's going to be born out of five years and losing your house, that'll be awesome. So we don't want to over-spiritualize at that point. So you do sit with that person. You just sit. What, What can you say? And you just listen. And I think you say, bro, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what you're going through. And I just want you to know I'm here. I'm here to listen. I'm here to pray for you. And sometimes those prayers sound really hollow, and I just want you to know I'm committed to you and love you and respect how you're trying to navigate this really hard time. But I'm not going to over-spiritualize, but do not under-spiritualize. In other words, there comes a time when people need biblical truth, right? Said, said in a respectful way. So I think year one is different from year two. Year two is like when you start to hear things from him, like, I think I'm a, I'm a horrible father. I think I'm a horrible, hey, whoa that's not coming from God, right? Shame never comes from the Holy Spirit. So you step in, you say, listen, this isn't, God loves you, and you're not a horrible person. This is a tough economic time. You didn't do anything wrong, right? So that's not over-spiritualized, but but some of us, it's like, all I'm going to do is sit in this space with you, which is great, but eventually, it would be good to say, bro, here's what I'm wrestling with, God's goodness, and I do want to believe what the Bible says, that it applies to me, and it also applies to you. So I think timing is all about the book of Proverbs, right? When to say something. A word spoken in the right way says the book of Proverbs is like fine jewelry. So the key is when to say certain things, and I think that's when we pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Wow, great questions. Keep them coming for Ronnie. No, I'm kidding. Keep coming. Um, Hey, I'm going to bring out Ronnie right now. He's part of our teaching team. You heard him last week. Um, We're so grateful to have different voices here at Box, not just one voice. And we're excited to hear what Ronnie has to say. And the teaching team, we have official shirts. So this is...
2: (laughs) Thanks, Tim. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Oh, uh, well, you guys came back for the cliffhanger part two, so maybe you just want more rest. Maybe you just want to sleep this morning. That's okay. Uh, let's go right into Galatians, Galatians chapter six. If you have a Bible, it's on your phone or whatever. You can do that. If you have an actual, anybody have a paper Bible, a real paper Bible? Like, oh my gosh, can we all look at it later? Carrie, can we all touch it and feel it and see what it, like, it's great. Is it, yeah, okay. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, um, and then we're gonna, I'm gonna jump in and just kind of read this chunk of, of, of scripture here, uh, and, and just kind of a recap from, from last week. Uh, there's a framework in which this letter is written. Paul is addressing uh, some issues within this church that obviously we saw, you know, even a th- couple thousand years ago, are still the same issues that we deal with today. Which is, there is this burden of legalism. There is this uh, return back to um, to the days of old of law and rule keeping, and, and and they were asking people to do things that that were not what Jesus wanted them to do. Uh, to experience a life of freedom, uh, but they were going back to a life of of uh, of pr- basically imprisoning people, and so. He, he lays out this framework of what it looks like to live a life of freedom. And so we pick up in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 6, and says this, uh, Those who were taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. I like where this is going already. Do you see this? <laughs> teachers get provided. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death From that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family, the community of faith. So, um, again, going back a little bit to last week, if you were here, uh, Paul talks about there's two types of lives, and he talks about it all through Galatians. Uh, this letter, he talks about it and refers to it. There's a life lived to the, uh, the flesh and a life lived to the spirit. Uh, this flesh life is always centered around self. It's always about what I can get, and its foundation, its, its very foundation is about achieving and earning. So it's what I can do, it's what I can accomplish, it's how I can please God, how I can do these things, and I'll be in right standing with God, right? Uh, Some of us have experienced that in our life, maybe. We've been uh, a part of a system or a culture that has told us that you have to do these things in order for God to be happy, uh, in order for God to be pleased with you, in order for God to give you blessings. And then he counters that with this other life, which is one that is immersed in the person of Jesus, which brings about freedom. And here's the difference between the life uh, in the flesh, and the life, in the spirit. See, the foundation over here is earning, and I have to do this in order to get. But see, the life and the spirit over here, the foundation is you're already accepted. You're already loved. And no matter what you do, or don't do for that matter, doesn't change the way that I see you and the way that I love you. And so from this foundation of love and acceptance, we are now free. We're free to do the things that Jesus did and said. We're free to live uh, through the Spirit, and we saw the the markers of those lives that are lived in the Spirit, right? They were love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so when you look at this framework as we move into this last part of the discourse, the last part of his letter, Paul's actually going to show us what it looks like practically to live out a life in the Spirit a life filled with the Holy Spirit. So uh, the title of this message is Reaping and Sowing, Reaping and Sowing. So before we jump in, I'd like to pray for us. If you would uh, pray with me, that'd be great. So God, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather together in this room as a community, um, one body, believing that you're calling us to something, um, something greater, that all of this, that everything we're doing is moving towards something, and you were at the center of it. Um, and while there is um, so much evil, and there's so much hate, and there's so much violence around us. God, help us to be a light. Help us to be the place that shines so brightly in the midst of darkness and calls people uh, to you. Uh, we pray that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit so we could live out this life uh, in the Spirit. And God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I think I've, uh, in, our, in my past, when I've been here, I've taught, and just for some of you who haven't been, my previous job before I was a pastor was a wildlife biologist. Uh, so, you know, the, I, like, just, I nerd out and geek out on like animal stuff, you know, like always have. Uh, insects, snakes, my, my, my primary focus in my schooling was herpetology, reptiles and amphibians, right? So just, it's crazy, you're just a creepy guy, okay? So I, I, I just love it, and so having my son, I get to teach him all of these things, and he he's in a stage right now that he just loves insects, like just loves insects insects spiders everything he's just in love with it and it's great because I get to help him like walk through and see his imagination and so we at night we read books and we learn about the different things right and so the other night we were reading about beetles you know these these little beetles and so we're reading, and he's like dad I want to see a beetle I'm like okay so the other day my wife and I, my son, we were walking through one of these outdoor malls. You know, we're outside kind of walking around, and it's a nice summer day, and we're walking. And then you could hear the, this, this beetle. Zzz. Have you heard the ones you, you know what I'm talking about? The, the, the green ones? Those are called Japanese fruit beetles. Okay, they're flying around the air, right? And so I, I'm like, no, no big deal. Uh, and i was walking with my son, and then my wife is over here looking at a shop. And all of a sudden, I hear this, this, this high-pitched, shrill scream that I know is only my wife's voice, Right? <laughs> And I turn around, and she's being chased by this, this, this fruit beetle, right? And, and, and she's like, ah, she's screaming. And my son is like, dad, the green beetle. And it flies into my wife's hair. And so people around her are panicking. I mean, people are just in a panic as if this thing is going to like eat her brain or something. And so... My son's first reaction is, Dad, catch it. I'm like, yeah. And so I walk over there, and I grab it out of her hair, and I'm holding it in my hand, and people are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> something wrong. And I'm, we're looking, and my wife is over there, like, sweating, crying profusely, and my son is holding this beetle, and his, his eyes just light up, right? Now, I tell you this uh, because it's interesting that when you learn about stuff, right, you can You can theoretically learn, you can read books, you can study certain things, but nothing replaces actually being in the midst of something and having your hands on it, right? Like, like you can read all about bugs, but until you actually interact with them and hold them and look at them and see them, it's a different world, right? Many things in our life are like that. You can study music, right? You can study all of the notes, you can understand how music theory works, you can do all these things, but if you've never played an instrument, if you've ever never taken an instrument and played it with other people and made music together. It's a different thing altogether, right? So your understanding level changes when you engage in something. How many of you, before you got married, thought, oh, I know I know what marriage is like. It's going to be great. Yeah, Carrie's laughing, right? Like, it's going to be great. I'm going to be the best husband. She's going to be the best wife. We're going to have a white picket fence, and our house is going to be great, and it's going to be beautiful. And then you get married, Right? <laughs> And you're like, oh, it's not what I thought. (laughs) And then you actually live it out. And then actually as you live out being married, you have a deeper understanding of what relationships take, right? What love actually looks like in its messiest forms. It's different when you actually engage in those things. Your understanding grows. And likewise, like what what, uh, Tim was just sharing, you can actually understand something in the wrong way. By engaging it in the wrong activities. So your behavior, the things that you do, interacting, can actually inform your misunderstanding of something. So the Westboro Church, for instance, engages in a behavior that is clearly wrong, and that actually informs an understanding of who God is. Do you see how backwards that becomes? And so when Paul is laying this out, he's explaining to us something very clear. He's he's showing us that our understanding is informed by our behavior. And likewise, our behavior informs our understanding. That's what this whole thing is. That's when you look at, when you look at the, uh, the New Testament and what's being shared about living life with Jesus and who Jesus is, it's a little bit of doing, and it's also a little bit of understanding. They, they, they sort of inform each other. Now, that's not to stand on one side and say it's all about doing, right? Because you also have to be. You have to be present with God. But as we engage in the things and engage in life and engage in the behaviors and the things that Jesus tells us to, It informs our understanding of why we do certain things. And so Paul starts off with this. He says, Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. In other words, teachers of of God's word should be provided for. They have devoted their time and their life to revealing who Jesus is. Now, this is a reference back to something. If you remember from last week, for those that you weren't here, Paul said that we should bear each other's burdens, correct? And the law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this idea of mutual help coming alongside. Now, context. In the church, in the Galatians, in the early church, teachers, this was their sole way of making money, right? Some of them had to have other different jobs in order to provide, but they would spend a significant amount of time teaching God's word because people weren't either literate or didn't have access to it, and so they were teaching. And so what Paul is describing is that these, pers- these people who are giving their lives, To explain and open up God's word to you should be paid. Now, historically, what's happening here? There were priests who were demanding money for spiritual blessings. They were doing sacrifices for people and demanding payment and money from people, forcing a burden on top of them, saying, If you want the blessings of God, you have to go through me. See how that becomes very, uh, it becomes almost like a a bondage. It was enslaving people to an idea that was wrong. And see, remember Paul was trying to tell us this is about freedom. The framework of Galatians is about freedom. And so when you look at these these past, um, these priests, it'd be like akin to our modern day health and wealth prosperity kind of thing. Where you're saying that if you give me money, give us seed money, give us seed money, and God will bless you. You see, that's not how that works. That's not how God works. And so what Paul is saying is that there's a practical sense. It's beyond just the teacher getting money. So this isn't me standing up here saying, you need to give me money. You should give the church money. He's getting to a much deeper, more foundational thing. And that is this. Sacrifice and generosity are virtues that are derived from a life in the Spirit. See, when he says that you give your teachers what they're due for teaching you, this is idea of, of, of generosity, and sacrifice, they're sacrificing their time and their energy and their families and their life to preach the gospel, then we should sacrifice a little bit of what we can because that's the mutual help. That's the bearing each other's burdens again, right? You see how this is tying. Paul's a genius the way he writes this. He's tying it together that there's this this underlying thing that he's getting to, which is generosity and sacrifice are virtues that are lived out in the life of the Spirit. Remember, Life in the flesh is all about me and what I can get. It's foundational about my achievement. Spirit is about freedom. It says you already accepted, you are already loved. Move from that place. Move from that place out and, and avoid the rule keeping and, and the law that was enslaving you. That you get the freedom to stand with another person and bear the burden with them. Paul here is informing our understanding through behavior. Again, you do this thing and you will understand. Bearing a burden teaches you something about yourself and about others. That You get to do it. If you've ever stood with or walked with somebody through the midst of pain and suffering, you learn something about yourself, don't you? You learn something about another person that you could never learn if you stood back away from them at arm's length. To engage in messiness to engage in the pain with somebody else as they're walking through a season like that, it does something to you that only getting involved will do for you. Again, the behavior is informing our understanding. So in our life, as as, as followers of Jesus, those who are wanting to follow and pursue Jesus, there are certain things we must move at first before maybe it actually registers in our head as to why. To further his point, he says this, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. You cannot fool God. You harvest what you plant and you reap the seeds you sow. Now, what Paul says here is considered conventional wisdom. This is an observation about the way in which things normally work, right? So, you might have heard the expression, what goes around comes around, right? Some people might use different language for that. Some people might say things like karma, right? Like, you're going to get what you deserve because you do that. Now, I get there's, a, there's a, a spiritual or a religious sense tied to that. And I think what Paul is saying here is less religious and more practical about the way in which the world works. That when you do certain things, life has a way of sort of dealing out consequences. How many of you in this room have experienced that in your life? That the consequences that life has dealt out to you are far worse than maybe what you should have received from whatever, right? When you're in school, you don't turn in papers. You think that the punishment from the teacher is worse. Then you realize is, oh, I forgot. I didn't learn this. This is a lot harder in my life. Like, the consequences that life gives you are much greater than sometimes you get. And so this is what Paul is saying. So if you sow seeds of greediness and selfishness, what else could you possibly harvest other than lack, fear, and stinginess, Right? If you put those seeds in the ground of greediness and selfishness, what do you think you will re- you reap from the ground? If you sow seeds of divisiveness and gossip, what else could you possibly harvest other than pain, broken relationships, and loneliness? If you harvest seeds of anger and bitterness, what else could you possibly harvest other than discontentedness? I don't even know if that's a word. But for me... This is true. I came from a church and a culture that was very spiritually abusive. And, uh, and from, from leaving that place into another church and going, okay, I have to get out. This is, this is killing our, our, our life. It's killing my marriage. It's killing my spiritual life. Does God even exist at this point? And for two and a half years, I struggled. I sowed seeds of anger and bitterness and frustration. And you know what I reap from it? I was so discontent. I was in a place that I had a chance to heal and I had a chance to recover but because I kept harping on that because I was so angry and I was so frustrated and that's not to say that you don't get to be angry. You get to be angry and you get to be frustrated and you get to have all those emotions but there does come a time just to use the metaphor of harvesting there does come a time when you have to take all the stuff out of the ground. You have to till the ground completely. Pull out all the crops that were there because you're going to have to plant something new. And so there came a point in my life where I realized God had given me this tremendous blessing of this new place to be able to heal and recover, but I could not see it because of my anger and my bitterness, the seeds that I was planting. So when I finally came to a point where I could reconcile that, where I could accept and I could forgive, I began to plant new seeds of hope and gratefulness. And you begin to feel something different as you do that. You know, this isn't just like airy talk and, hey, go do this, then you'll feel better. No, this is like when you do the hard work of trying to plant the seeds of hope and gratefulness and gratitude and thankfulness, it changes you intrinsically. You see the world differently. You can accept what is, and you can begin to move forward. And this is what Paul is saying. And as he talks about do not be fooled you cannot fool God. It's important. I was thinking about this as I was reading it because my mind goes, well, God must be causing all of this, right? Don't be, don't be fooled. You can't mock God. God sees what's happening. He's somehow gonna cause the repercussions in your life. And I think that's false. I think that's not what Paul is trying to get here. He, he's saying that God sees everything. And so if you think that you're hiding or you're getting away with by, by planting these seeds, the things and the repercussions and the consequences that come into your life might be just because you've planted those seeds. Those are your consequences, and God doesn't want that. I think God sits back and goes, why would you do that? Don't do that to yourself, right? But here's the thing that you've learned, I've learned about life, and I think you've probably learned about life in yourself as you lived it. Nothing in life is free, right? Nothing in life is free, It's true. Sometimes we think that we might be getting something for free, but you're not. There's always a cost to be paid, and Paul goes on to prove this. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, that that life in the flesh, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. It's that idea that I was saying. If you plant and sow seeds of bitterness and anger and frustration, the only thing that you will reap is death and decay. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I've heard Mike talk about this before in the podcast, but it's so true. Everything has a cost, right? When we talk about sacrifice and generosity, generosity has a cost, right? It might cost you something financially to be generous, but the cost of not being generous is much greater, right? Stinginess, self-centeredness, all mine and me, that, that, that has a great cost and a great price tag that's attached to it. Carrying the burdens with somebody else has a great cost to it. But living your life simply for yourself has a much greater cost. Nothing in life is free, that there's always a price tag attached. again, what's Paul saying? Our behavior informs our understanding. What you do informs what you know and what you understand. How you act, how you behave, changes the way that you see and interact. He goes on in in verse 9. I love this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, what does that say? Just a simple observation of verse 9 says something to us. And you should all be picking up on this. It says that we will get tired of doing good. Right? That in our life, when we're trying to do good, it's going to get tiresome. There will be points in your life where you're like, I want to quit. I think of this this phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. Right? Have you ever experienced that? Like, uh, this is really silly. This is a silly illustration. But like, have you ever like opened the door for people and they don't say anything to you? And you're like, really? (laughs) Or you're like driving, you come to a stop sign and clearly you have the right of way, but you go like this to the other person and they're like, and you're like, not even a hand, not even a gesture, right? And, and see, right, you get my point. It's a silly illustration. But, you know, you want to do good. And sometimes it feels like you're not repaid with good. And so you get tired and you get frustrated and you want to go, you know what? I'm done. I'm done being nice. Well, guess what? The minute you step into I'm done, you start to plant the seeds of anger and bitterness and frustration. And where does that lead us? Right? The death, and the decay, and so I think what Paul is saying is, look, at, look at in, in life, you're going to get tired. You will. It's hard. It's frustrating at times, and that's okay. But he says, keep going. Keep going. At just the right time, you'll reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of, pay, of faith. So he makes this point about, hey, look, We're going to bear each other's burdens together. Not just outside, but also in here. And not just in here, but also outside. Everyone. It's interesting, when you look at the Greek word everyone, it means everyone. Right? All people. Everyone together. That's what it looks like to stand shoulder to shoulder with people. To bear the burden. To live sacrificially. To live in a way that that gives more of ourself instead of take for ourselves. And as we live our life of, of freedom and grace and giving more out rather than taking, it does something. It informs our understanding of who God is. It changes us. And so when you look at this passage and you follow the discourse that Paul's writing, you go, okay, Paul, we get it. Burden bearing, generosity, love for others, all these things that we do, it informs our understanding, but Why? But why all of this? And I think you'll see there's a much deeper point that he's making here. And I love this because he wraps everything all back together again. He wraps it all together. Now, remember, this is just the last part of a letter that he's written. So there's much more to this letter. But in this last part, he wraps it all together. Look at this what he says in verse 11 Galatians, verse 11, 6 verse 11. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. He's the original all text caps texter, right? <laughs> He's like texting you and all, like he's yelling at you in a text message. Hey, pay attention to me. He's using all the emojis and exclamation points. Here's where I'm going with all of this. Everything that you've read, everything that you've understood thus far, look where he goes in verse 15. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. In other words, it doesn't matter if we've held all the rules of the law. It doesn't matter if you've done everything. You've crossed your T's. you've dotted your eyes, you've done all the things. It doesn't matter. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. So for Paul, everything is pointing towards this idea of transformation. It doesn't matter all these other things. What matters is are you a different person? Are you transforming into a new creation? Which has been Paul's larger point about how this happens. How does a person get transformed? We talk about transformation all the time, right? Spiritual transformation. We talk about it all the time. But what does it look like? Well, I think Paul set the tone for us. It's a little bit of behavior informing a little bit of our understanding, a little of our understanding informing our behavior. And we go back and forth, but we never do it from a foundation or a place that says, I have to, I'm going to do this so I can achieve so that God will or I can get but instead, it starts from a foundation. It starts from a platform that says I'm accepted and I'm loved. God sees me where I'm at and he says, "I'm good." And I get to move from that place outward. Not lack, not oh, what if, not shame, not guilt, but I'm loved. And from this place, I can go and bear the burden with other people. From the place of I'm love and I'm accepted, I can go and live sacrificially. I can live generously. What does it look like for us this morning as we think about that? What are the areas maybe in our life where we need to have our behavior inform a little bit of our understanding? Maybe there's an area of bitterness and frustration and anger that has been planted and this morning it needs to be tilled up. The ground needs to be torn apart and new ground needs to be laid. New seeds need to be laid. What are those areas in our life that we can say, okay, if I do these things, if I, if I approach these actions, understanding that if I do these things in some way it's going to inform my understanding of who God is. Remember, it's not legalism. This is freedom and grace, and we get to because we're loved and accepted. This is sort of like a meditative process together collectively. So as you go through your day and as you go through your week this week, be thinking about that. Be thinking about this this harvesting, this ground that's in your heart, this fertile ground that's in your heart. What have you planted in it? What are the areas you need to pull up? What are the things you need to engage in so that it can change your understanding and maybe even your belief about who God is. We're going to take a few minutes as we respond to that. Um, Izzy's going to come out. The band's going to come out. They're going to play a couple songs, and we're just going to sit with that and just practice this art of meditating on that going, what is it? God, look deep inside of me. The scriptures, David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Know all the things about me. So we're going to take a moment to just do that. And so let me just pray for us as we step into this time of response. And then after a couple songs that come out and we'll lead us into a time of communion. God, we are, <clears throat> we're grateful um, for the opportunity and the chance to look inward, to take a moment to pause because life is just happening so fast around us at times that oh, we just move on to the next thing. And sometimes it's just good for us to stop and to think and to ponder. And so, Lord, we ask that in the next few minutes that you'll begin to um, shine light in maybe dark areas of our life. We ask that for those in the room that need healing, that, God, you'll begin to heal um, some of those those ground, the ground that has been um, put seeds of bitterness and frustration and anger, would would you begin to pull some of those things out? Cause us to fall into grace, into love and acceptance, so that we can be all you've created us to be. So God, we thank you, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Boxers, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you for the last couple of weeks. It's been great. Uh, I'm excited to come back and teach again. I'm not sure when. We'll figure it out. But uh, uh, as you go this week, um, I want to just pray a blessing over you and and invite you into uh, all that God is leading in your life. Uh, Before you go, too, uh, there are participation boxes that are at either one of the doors. And if you want to participate and join in this community that way, uh, you can because remember, behavior influences our understanding, right? (laughs) Hey, you like how I did that? See? All right. Uh, Would you stand and uh, let me just uh, pray a blessing over you as you go this week. Uh, God, would you be with your people. Would you guide and shape our hearts in such a way that allows us to see you with greater clarity, to understand you at a deeper level so that we can go out and bear one another's burdens, that we can stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in this world and carry the weight that they're carrying. Uh, Help us to be more human. Help us to meet each other in those places. God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's grace.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com
1: slash participate.